Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome. It's so, uh, it's so wild when we were praying this morning before, uh, before our gathering, just being hit like our timeline. We have a finite timeline in this space, which is just so weird to be processing, right? Like we just, we, we only have so many times to do this in this space. And yes, the church is not a building. The church is us. It's the people, but you know, sh- spaces shape culture. And we've been in this space for five and a half years and it's shaped so much of who we are and, and, uh, and how we connect with one another, how we connect with God. So I hope that um, over the next several Sundays, we do really treat this time as precious. Like we have this precious sweet time to, to really process what it's meant to be here. Um, many of us, we have, you know, really wonderful memories and there's powerful things that God's done in this space. And for many of us, there's a lot of disappointments and there's a lot of hurts that have happened here because that's what happens when messy people get together, right? Like <laughs> we love each other and we hurt each other and we work through it. Um, so I want to encourage all of you like over the next several Sundays, let's really make the effort to, to feel fully what this means, this transition, so that when we go into the next space, the next chapter of our community, we do it really well. Um, that we enter into that next step with an actual genuine hope and excitement that isn't uh, kind of covering over the cracks, but it's because we've really done the work with the Lord uh, to, uh, as Dan Allender always says, like to leave and to cleave, you know, that we're, we're leaving well and we're entering into the next space with, um, with a sense of wholeness. So um, today we're finishing up this series that we've been in called To the Holy and Faithful, where we've been kind of allowing Paul's letter to the Colossians to lead us through this, this, this larger conversation about um, how do we maintain allegiance to King Jesus, especially when we're, there's all of these other conversations around us, all these distractions and, and other competing philosophies and that temptation that so many of us have to go, oh yeah, sure, there's, there's Jesus and he's a nice spiritual teacher and then also this thing. Um, and Paul has been taking us on this journey of, of recognizing the importance of the centrality of Jesus to our faith, that we always maintain that, that Jesus is the center of the thing. You know, it's like how many licks does it take to get to the core of the Tootsie Roll Pop? Like he's the thing beneath the thing, beneath the thing, like he's the center of it all. And then Paul's kind of been radiating out from there. Okay, because Jesus is central to understanding of uh, how the world works and what's happening behind the scenes and who we are, then how are we to live? And that's where we started to talk about, you know, it's not about rules and regulations and, and just trying to be a good little Christian boy and a good little Christian girl and behaving ourselves. There's this deeper thing at work when the spirit of Jesus lives within us that transforms us. And that transformation uh, becomes what we call virtue. That it's not just about behaving the right way, it's about becoming someone. That we look more like Jesus, and as we look more like Jesus, we become more fully human. We become truly human in the way that God designed us to be. So today, we're wrapping that up, and there's kind of two elements uh, to Paul's uh, conclusion to his letter that we're going to be looking at today that are kind of 
almost like practicalities. Like, okay, so, so what? What do we do with this information? Because information doesn't equal transformation. It's one thing to know a bunch of stuff. It's another thing to allow that stuff to sink deep into us and to kind of set, uh, set a trajectory with our action so that we, uh, we begin to live this out and to see that transformation happen in our lives. So we're going to be looking today at the very end, Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 18. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll get right into it. So Heavenly Father, um, we do uh, thank you for this space, this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would never take it for granted that we're able to do this, to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship you, to pour over your word, um, to hug one another, to speak words of life to one another, to enjoy um, this family that you've gifted us with. And God, I pray that over the next month, as we're, um, we're looking to leave this space well and enter into the next chapter of our community, that you would do something powerful in each one of us and, and kind of taking us by the hand and walking us through all of our joys, uh, all of our disappointments, that you would help us to process um, so that we can lay claim to the next chapter of this community uh, well in the way that you want us to. And for today, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to each one of us what we really need to hear today uh, in a way that it binds us closer together as your people and it gives us um, eyes to see what you have been doing, what you are doing, and what you will do in the future. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want you all to take out your phones and I want you to open up a new note because there's going to be a couple things where I'm going, to add, I'm going to give you some space to process today. And I think you should also jot down some of the things that I put on the screens because it's juicy. It's real, real good. And, um, and you get this for free. You know, like that's the thing. Like this is, this is free gold, okay? So here's, here's kind of, this is where I want to go today. Allegiance to King Jesus won't always come naturally. Surprise, surprise. Sometimes it might actually take a little bit of work. <laughs> you know, like um, we need vision and discipline to remain in loving union with God and with our church family, okay? So it doesn't always come naturally. Some, and I'm, I'm telling you, you've experienced it, I've experienced it. So there are seasons in your life where like you're just swimming in the goodness of God and it just comes so, like, so naturally, right? Like how many of you, you've had that time where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm just overwhelmed by how real God is. I'm overwhelmed by like this deep natural connection to people. And there are seasons where that's not the case. How many of you have experienced those? Maybe you're in that right now, and you're like, does God, is God real? Like, do people care about me? You know, like all, of, and, and that's, I want to bless that. Like, that's normal. And it's in those times that we need disciplines to help us to remain in what is true. And I think one of the things that has been so striking to me in this whole year as we've been talking about allegiance, and I think you know, like being 2021, but even larger this year, like through a pandemic, through all of the turmoil in, uh, in our country and around the world and all of these things that have been stirred up, these apocalyptic things that God has been revealing to us, I have been increasingly uh, convinced, like faith is not a one and done status, okay? Like 
at some point when you were like eight years old, you, you heard the gospel, you made a commitment, you prayed a prayer, and then you're good and you're done. Um, faith is something we cultivate. It's more like a garden. So faith is not a, it's not a monument, okay? You didn't, you didn't erect a statue at some point in your life, and there it is, it's in the park, and it, it's good. Like, it's a garden. And you have to tend to your garden, right? You can't just plant some seeds and then come back three months later and be like, oh, there's, there's, no, there's no produce. I guess this was never real. No, you have to take soil samples and you have to make sure that it's getting watered and it's getting enough sunlight and you have to tend to it and then you have to prune the plants as they come out. And sometimes you're not going to see fruit for maybe even that first season. You know, we have a little orange tree at our house and I think it's like three years old maybe, right? And it's got like little green oranges on it, which is so great and they're going to be disgusting because that's, how, that's what happens with orange, like citrus plants, right? Like they take a couple years, then they produce fruit and the first season is always garbage and you just throw them away, basically. And then the next season, they're really, really good. And that's just the reality of our faith. We have to tend to it. We have to cultivate it. Like, in the seasons, we have to be sensitive and processing. And, like, what does my faith need right now in order to be maintained? And so that's kind of how Paul's going to be laying out. He gives us these two practical ways uh, to acknowledge what faith as cultivation really looks like. So uh, first of all, let's look at Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. And again, <laughs> this is one of those like breakdowns in scripture I think is so annoying. Like I, whenever we get to heaven, I'm going to talk to like Origen from the second century and be like, why did you do Colossians 4, verse 1, which is about masters and slaves? Why didn't you just put that in chapter 3? And then this is the beginning. Anyway, that's one of my annoyances. That's like wonky Bible stuff. Anyway, Colossians 4, 2 to 6. This is what Paul says to us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So that's the bit that we're really going to focus on today. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I'm going to focus specifically on that first line. There's a lot of, there's a lot of goodness in here. We've talked about what mystery of Christ means, is like this, this idea that Jesus was both fully God and fully human, and that, that's a mystery that we live in, and there's a lot of implications to that reality. We, you know, we could talk about you know, the beauty of Paul even asking them to pray. Like, Paul has no illusions that he can just do this on his own. You know, we're going to we'll mention that in a little bit. Um, and this, and, and, and the, like, we all have a part to see the gospel further. But I especially want to focus on that, that first bit about being watchful and thankful. Because I think this is the implication that Paul's giving us. The more we learn to see God's hand at work, the more thankful we are. The more we practice gratitude, the more naturally we can see God. So that should come up on screen. There it is. So the more that we learn, so you, you do not naturally see God's hand at work, okay? That's, you know, that is a discipline that we learn. I think about, um, you know, when Jacob has that dream in the Old Testament of the, you know, falling asleep and he sees this ladder going up into heaven, the angels coming up and down and he sees God in his glory on the throne and he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place the whole time and I was unaware. Like that's our, that's all of us. 
Like we're all slowly waking up to the reality of God all around us at all, in all places. Like God is always here and he's always speaking. We just weren't aware of it, but now we're waking up to that. So we have to learn how to see God's hand at work. And the more that we enter into disciplines that help us to see what God is doing, that helps us to cultivate a sense of gratitude. And then it's kind of, it's cyclical. The more that we practice gratitude, the more naturally we can see God, okay? And um, you know, I, I, hear, uh, I hear Johnny giving some amens there. Johnny is great because Johnny every day has this discipline of like writing down everything that he's thankful for. And he sent me those before and they've got lots of adorable emojis in them and everything. But it's like, that's a, that's a, it's a discipline, right? Like sometimes you wake up and you're like, ugh, I don't want to be grateful for anything. I just want to mope. I just want to sulk, you know? But like, I, what I love about the way, like, Paul is ending this letter the way that he began it. If you remember at the very beginning, way, way, way back, Colossians chapter 1, um, Paul says, like, I'm so thankful for you. I love you guys. I love seeing what God's doing. And now he's kind of bringing us back around to that, and he's saying, I want you to practice gratitude. And what Paul's doing here is he's revealing, like, our faith, it's a practice, your faith is a practice. It's, your faith is something that you do. It's not just an assertion. It's not just about saying the right things. It's not just even about believing the right things. It's about learning how to practice it. This is the place where faith and works are actually really intimately connected. And so he's saying you have to learn how to be in prayer. What is prayer? It's just communion. It's, it's union with God. That's what prayer is. You have to learn how to do that. You have to exercise those muscles to be in prayer, to be in communion with God, with one another, and to practice gratitude. And I think what's so powerful about this idea is that when we learn to lay that foundation of gratitude as, like, maybe, maybe it's our primary prayer practice. I would even be so bold as to say that. Like, of all the different kinds of prayer, there's supplication where you're asking God for things and whatnot. Like, to, to lay first that foundation of gratitude thankfulness for who God is and what he's already done and what he's doing right now, it dramatically shifts how we perceive everything. If we do not begin our prayer lives with a sense of gratitude, what usually happens is prayer becomes us just casting our anxieties out into the universe, right? Like we just, we just come to the Almighty with this list of things that are going wrong. And unfortunately, I've had many seasons in my life, and perhaps you have as well, where like the only times you pray are when you need something or when things are going wrong. If they're going right, you kind of fall into this illusion of like, oh yeah, I've earned this and I've done this and everything's great. And it's only when things go wrong, we actually turn to God in prayer. Um, it's been a really hard year for me. It's been a terrible week for me. <laughs> like this, some of you know, like this week has just been awful. Like am I, I've been emotionally all over the place. I'm just like, just struggling through a lot of things in my personal life. And it's been one of those weeks where, for me, I'm just like, yeah, God better be real, or I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> like, how many of you, you've had that day, or that week, or that year? You're like, this sucks. <laughs> and am I, am I, like, giving, devoting myself to a thing that, like, is it, what is it costing me, you know? Like, and I think we all have that. I know as a faith leader, it's not popular for me to say these things. Like, I'm supposed to be the kind of Christian that you don't have the time or the discipline to be. Sorry to disappoint. Like, I'm probably an atheist like 30% of the time. You know what I mean? Like, pra like, practically speaking. And it's been one of those weeks where like, I've had to lay claim to 
practicing gratitude. Like I've had to, I've had to sit down with like my journal for a significant period of time and like write it out. Like, and Johnny's been such an inspiration in that kind of work. And I'd like to tell you like, oh yeah, it's been seven days of like being really, this, things being really hard and I practice gratitude and it's great. And it's not, I'm still struggling. But I believe that I'm laying the foundation for something now when everything feels terrible to me to be able to set myself up better in the future. Because what happens is that gratitude recontextualizes our struggles. It doesn't make them go away. Okay? Right? Like, gratitude doesn't, it's not an escape from pain. It's not an escape from disappointment or hurt. But it at least gives you a more profound foundation to, to read those things well, to read the pain in your life, the disappointment, the hurt, to read it in a better way, that you're not just casting anxieties out into the universe and hoping someone hears you, but going, there is so much on this deeper level. Like, I'm loved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I am loved, I am in love, and that gives me a context for all of the hurt and the pain and the struggle, and how hard things are, and how unsatisfying things can be. And it helps us to read those things just a little bit better. You know, in, in neurology, in the study of the brain, we've doubled our understanding of the brain twofold in the past 20 years, which is amazing. And one of the things that we've discovered in brain research is that we all, human beings, biologically speaking, we have what's called a negativity bias, okay? And what this means is that we naturally latch on to negative experiences far quicker than we do positive experiences. And this comes from our caveman days. Because, like, you're living in a cave and there's freaking saber-toothed tigers, you know? Like, you, you, need, some, you need to survive. And so you just, we, we genetically learned how to latch on to things real quick. You know, like, you stuck your hand in the fire, you're like, whoop, never going to do that again. Like, that's the kind of thing. And it's a good survival technique, but it doesn't help us to thrive, okay? And so we're wired, and, and what research suggests now is it takes you between one and three seconds to latch on to a negative experience, okay? A harsh word, uh, a disappointing moment, a dark, unprocessed emotion, whatever it might be, it takes you between one and three seconds to latch onto that and for it to actually become part of your psyche, this is your, your amygdala, like your lizard brain back here, just like, whoosh, because you're trying to survive. But it takes you at least 30 seconds to latch onto a positive experience. So think about that. It takes you one second to latch onto a negative experience. It takes you 30 seconds to latch onto a positive experience. And it's amazing because now there's a lot of neurologists and psychologists that are talking about the benefit of practicing gratitude because they're saying you're actually rewiring your amygdala. Like you're creating a, a sense of resilience in your brain that helps you to process negative emotions and to, to, to latch on to positive ones that help you to move just out of survival mode into thriving. And I love that because 21st century psychologists are sounding a lot like a first century former Pharisee who fell in love with this man called Jesus. I think I love that. And I think that's what's so profound about what Paul is telling us here is that gra gratitude becomes the foundation for us to recognize the reality of God around us, to stay devoted to one another, and to see the gospel message advance. 
So this is gonna be the practice. I want you to take out your phones and I'm gonna give you three minutes. Here's the question. What are three things that I notice in my life currently that I wanna thank God for? Like if I could just find three things. So I'm gonna give you a couple, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna give you a couple minutes and I want you to write that down. So Father, would you uh, alight upon each of your dear ones here right now? And God, we all latch on to negative things. Like it's, we could just write a laundry list of things that are going wrong right now. But would you give us eyes to see the thing beneath the thing, the deeper truth, the deeper reality of our lives, so we perceive the giftedness of life itself and show us what we have to be thankful for today. Let's just take a couple minutes. Amen. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us. We want to move on. It's like, okay, I did the thing. But we have to spend that time like latching, latching onto the things that we're called to be grateful for. And it's, I think it's imperative. I think it's imperative for us to move forward. And so Paul, again, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The more you're watchful, the more you'll be thankful. The more that you practice gratitude, the more you'll learn how to see And so Paul continues, and I love, you know, I always used to, we have a tendency to skip like the very first bit of a letter from Paul and the very last bit because it's just a bunch of names and places and we're like, whatever, give me some ideas. But I'm actually really learning to love those bits of Paul because you see the reality of living this thing out. Like you see the community and the relationships and like these are real people with real struggles and real joys and these deep profound connections to one another as they're working it out just like we are. And I think there's a lot of gold for us to mine there um, if we really pay attention. This is in verse seven, um, Paul continues. And and of course you get to do all the names, which is a delight. I had to like look up a couple of them today, like on Google, you're like, how do you pronounce Laodicea? And it's like, Laodicea, and you're like, okay. So, which is a place in Turkey. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances 
and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. At this letter, after this letter's been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it, that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I love that. Because it's not, again, it's just like Paul is very practically showing us, like, Our faith is a practice, it's relationship, it's connection. It's not just a bunch of premises and ideas. You know, and there's been several attempts, especially kind of post-enlightenment, to create uh, a version of the Bible, to create an alternative Bible that uh, better serves humanity. And usually it takes all this kind of stuff out of it. It's like, here's a bunch of ideas. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but Thomas Jefferson, you know, one of our founding fathers, he literally took the Bible and he cut out all of like the miracles and stuff and just put together all the sayings of Jesus. And he's like, this is a far better Bible. (laughs) I've seen it. It's a, where is it? It's in the, it's in the archives. Yeah. One of our founding, you know, this Christian nation that we live in. (laughs) That's hilarious. Sorry. That's mean. Thomas Jefferson had a lot of good things going for him too, but um, human beings, we're not ideas-based creatures. Like, truth is not just a set of premises. It's a way in which we live. And it's these kinds of bits of scripture that show us that. And so our common allegiance to King Jesus keeps us invested in one another through trial and transition. I think this is really especially powerful for us as we're getting ready to go through this transition, as we're all experiencing a lot of trial. But it's this common allegiance that we have to Jesus, that we're all like pursuing him, but we're working it out together that gives us context for how we relate to one another. So just briefly, like, look at these personal mentions that Paul has in this passage. Number one, he talks about Tychicus, who was a co-worker of his. Tychicus is from Asia. Maybe, maybe he's from Ephesus. And so he's like working alongside of Paul, co-suffering with Paul. There's Onesimus. And many of you would know that name from the book of Philemon, which we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. It's a very short letter. And Philemon was a well-to-do person in this community. He was from Colossae. And Onesimus, we think, was, was, uh, he, had, he was a slave of, of Philemon. He ran away. He encountered Paul Paul took him in, ministered to him, brought him some healing, and then Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but he kind of challenges Philemon, like, receive him back, not as your slave, but as a brother in Christ. Um, We find Aristarchus and then Mark, uh, who's also John Mark, okay, who we think, um, you know, was the same person who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, So Aristarchus, Mark, and then Jesus called Justice, 
And he says, these are the only Jews that are working with me in my ministry. And there's, there's an emotional context there, too. You know, I, I think Paul felt really lonely because so many of his people uh, weren't receiving the reality that Jesus was the Messiah they'd been waiting for. And, and indeed, it was a lot of the persecution that Paul received was from the Jewish community as much as it was the Roman community. And so you can imagine for him, it's like these three guys, like, they're, they're my only connection to my heritage. And like that, that gratitude and that thankfulness that he's practicing there, like I love, I love that I at least have somebody in my corner from my family. Uh, he mentions Barnabas. You know, many of you would know the story of Barnabas from the kind of the front half of Acts. Like Saul has this powerful enga- engagement with Jesus. He, he comes to know Jesus as Messiah. He's presented to uh, the church in Jerusalem, like Peter and James and these guys, and everybody freaks out because they know who he is. But Barnabas is the one guy who comes along and goes, no, I actually believe him. I think Jesus has actually done something in his life. And so Barnabas actually is, and that's what his, his name means, son of encouragement. Like he takes Paul under his wing. He actually becomes a mentor to Paul in the beginning and kind of giving him a platform to begin the ministry that he's going on to do. Um, we see Epaphras, and Epaphras was a leader in this community in Colossae. That's what we know. He's mentioned a couple times. And so he, he's probably some sort of pastor in this church, but he's also traveling around with Paul. Um, we see Luke. You know, we would know Luke as the writer of the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. He's written, like, I think it's 27.5% of the New Testament. It was written by this one guy. And we think he's most likely, he's a Greek doctor who converted uh, to Christianity, okay? So you've got Aristarchus and Mark and Justice. You've got Jews who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, but now you have Gentiles. Like he was probably some sort of God-fearing Gentile who now recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, we have Demas, who's, who's called a fellow worker, okay? And we know a little bit about Demas in the book of uh, Thessalonians. Paul talks about how Demas actually abandons him later in their ministry. Like he, he dipped out on Paul. So we're even getting a little foretaste, like there's a deep connection, and this person abandons him later on in the story. And then finally, we see Nympha, who's one of the a female leader of, a, of this house church, okay? Um, and a lot of the work that's been done in the past 50 years, especially re-examining the role of women in the church, we look at Nympha, and we look at all these other women that are mentioned in the New Testament, and, um, and recognize, like, oh, yes, like, early on, women were recognized as leaders of the church. They weren't second-class citizens, um, they gathered people in their houses, they led uh, the Eucharist, they were, were reading the scriptures out, and she's mentioned here. And I think what's so beautiful to me, looking at this like ragtag group of people, there's locals and there's foreigners, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's men, there's women, is that Paul is practically demonstrating this one of the big ideas that we find here in Colossians. In Colossians 3.11, he says, here, meaning in the kingdom of God, There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, okay? So he's showing the church in Colossae, like you're already living this out because here there is, there's Gentile and Jew, there are circumcised people, there are uncircumcised people. You know, we see the kind of parallel in Ephesians where it talks about there's no male and female, like there's men and there's women in this thing. Like we're all bound in Christ and we're living this thing out right now. And it's become stronger because we're all connected. I read a beautiful analogy about this this week. You know, you think about like a single thread 
and it's weak, right? You can, you can probably snap uh, a piece of thread. But if you have enough stitches with that single piece of thread, you can bind together two pieces of fabric that are indestructible. And that's what it's like to be part of the, the, the community of God, to be part of the, fa- the family of God. It's like individually, you and I, we're pretty weak and we snap easy. But when we come together and we become those stitches between heaven and earth, binding it all together, we're strong. And it's that radical vision of the kingdom of God that unites all of us. Think about, just look around in this room. Look at all the weirdos that are sitting next to you. (laughs) You know, like, you. wow. (laughs) Not you, the other ones. Um, Where else would this happen? Like, what else would bring this group of people together, you know? That's one of the radical uh, notions of this kingdom that we live in. So I want to take another meditation here, just a couple minutes, and I'll pray. Uh, and I want you to bring out your phones again and just write this down. Like, if you were writing a letter of encouragement to this church, okay? So you want to tell this church what matters the most. You know, dear city, beautiful church. How, when, you're, when you're finishing that letter... And you're doing what Paul's doing here, where you're mentioning a bunch of people. Who would you mention and why? And if you're new, and maybe you don't know a lot of people here, that's okay. Just think about, like, your, your, your faith they've meant to you. So, Father, I do thank you that you have given us this group of weirdos to be our people, to be our friends, our family, our brothers, and our sisters. And I pray that in this moment, would you draw into mind uh, faces and names of people that have meant something to us, that have changed our understanding of you, they've changed our understanding of what it means to be a human being uh, because they've inspired us to see more, to think better, to feel more. Would you give us those names right now? Have you told those people what they mean to you? 
And if you haven't, why not? Like maybe you just need to send some texts like right now in this moment while the iron strike while the iron's hot. I never thought that I was a words of affirmation person. You know, when you do like the five love languages, like I'm big on physical touch and I'm big on quality time. Um, But I'm realizing more and more how much words actually mean to me. And, you know, sometimes we think about this idea of like, we'll say, oh, words become hollow or like you can overuse your words and then it becomes meaningless or it becomes trite or whatever. I, I really want to push back on that. I think sometimes we withhold our words just because we're afraid. You know, like we want to like curb our expectations. We want to keep our expectations low. We want to be reasonable. And so we limit our words, like in how we bless other people. I listened to this incredible podcast on Friday night with uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, who's this wonderfully crazy Lutheran. And she said, we... Crave, we're, look, we're so desperately looking for blessing in life now, but most of us have just settled for approval, which is the likes that we get on social media. Like we want, we want someone to bless us. We want someone to lay hands on us and to, to tell us what they see in us. But we feel like that's too high an expectation, so we lower it to just like looking for likes, looking for approval. And that really struck me. And I'm like, why do I withhold words from people that I love? Why do I withhold blessing? What am I afraid is gonna happen when I speak those out? And then conversely, why, why do I struggle so much to receive blessing from other people when they speak life into me, when they tell me what they see in my life? Like what's going on there that it becomes another way that we're just holding one another at arm's length? Because our souls yearn for deep connection, but our hearts are so often afraid of the cost. Like you were created for profound, unadulterated connection. Like Adam in the garden, there's nothing between him and God. That's the, that's the, the nakedness. There's nothing between him and God. God creates Eve, gives him community. There's nothing between them. Like they're one, they're together. Like that's what we were created for. Like your soul hungers for that, but your heart has been wounded throughout your whole life where you begin to deny yourself that which you desire the most. And you tell yourself all these stories about why you shouldn't have that craving. You believe you're supposed to become self-sufficient. You believe that you can't possibly, people are gonna disappoint you, which is true but therefore you have to lower your expectations. I think part of the work here is to, to, is to name and then kind of like befriend that part of our lives, our coping mechanisms. When it comes to pursuing that deep community that our souls long for. Some of us, our coping mechanism is, oh, we're just too busy, right? I'm just too busy. Like, you know, we're going to be talking about community groups next week. And it's like, oh, I would devote time to investing and being invested in by my community, but I'm just too busy. There's just too much on my plate. And I don't think that's true. Like, we we need to prioritize what matters most in life. And I'm terrified of it, and I'm sure you are. I'm so afraid of getting to the end of my life 
and realizing that I was so busy that I missed out on what actually matters in relating, in knowing, in being known. For some of us, that coping mechanism that we have, that trying to itch the scratch of, of our souls for deep connection, it's that we have a thousand surface relationships. And it's like, if I achieve breadth, maybe that's just as good as depth. But we never let anybody in, and we never enter into somebody else's story. For some of us, it's a mask that we put on. We've talked a lot about how in the South, like, niceness, we use niceness as a way to hold people at arm's length, right? Like, that's what we do in the South. For some of us, it's that we over-spiritualize. Like, our, our deep connection, the desire for deep connection with other people, we just talk about religious things, or we say things like, oh, you know, blessed and highly favored, and we're crying out for deep connection. We can't admit that we're having a bad day or that today we were an atheist, <laughs> you know? Like, we, 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 we have all these different masks that we use to prevent ourselves from getting that which we desire most. Sometimes we silo ourselves, we just pull away and we just retreat. And I think this, is, this year, especially like in pandemic and isolation, many of us have found it all too easy to just silo ourselves away, just to hide because it's easier, but our souls are crying out within us. Some of us medicate. Some of us enter into addiction, that we want connection. I think we've talked about that before, like the primary revelation in the addiction uh, research is that addiction is a result of loneliness. It's not that people who are addicted are not bad people. It's not just that they're bad apples. It's you're lonely and you're desiring connection and we don't know how to get it. And none of these, like we hope that deep meaningful connection in our lives just will happen spontaneously, right? That's what we want. We want connection with God just to be effortless. We want love between human beings to be spontaneous. Like it's a thing that just kind of happens, um, but it almost never does. I, in fact, I'd pretty confidently say it doesn't. Like we have to do the work, we have to take the risk, we have to expose ourselves, we have to be vulnerable. And it's high risk, but my God, is it high reward? When I look over this list that Paul's writing of these people, it's like I can hear this deep love, this fierce connection between them because they've allowed those walls to fall down. They've allowed their, their, their deepest cry of their soul to be met in one another. And I just wonder, can we as City Beautiful Church have the courage to do the same? To take the risk to bind ourselves to one another. To say yes to this group of weirdos. So I wanna invite you to stand with me. And we're gonna as a practice, you know, we've practiced gratitude for the things that God has given us as a foundation for our prayer. We've practiced recognizing uh, the need that we have for community, for connection with one another. And I think the Lord's table is a lot of things. But for me, I think it's the place where we practically recenter on King Jesus. Like, we don't just talk about our allegiance, like, we come to his table. 
We partake of his body and his blood. We receive those things as a gift that has been offered to us. It's not an idea, it's not a concept, like it's a reality and it becomes for us life. But the other radical thing about the table is that we rub shoulders with all these other weirdos. These people that we wouldn't normally associate with because we've got 101 reasons why we need to hold everybody at arm's length. And it's this common invitation to the table wherever we're at in life, whether or not we even believe today (laughs) that binds us together. That's the radical, radical invitation of the Eucharist, the gifts of God for the people of God. And so as a, as a prayerful call, we're going to, we're going to recite that, that central passage in Colossians, that this Christ hymn, this poem that tells us something about the truth of who God is, who Jesus is. And we say it, even if maybe today we don't necessarily believe it because that's the act of faith. Okay, And so I wrote it kind of call and response, and then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to the table, and you can come here, and then there are three other stations. And as you come, you can take a cracker, and you can dip it into the juice and partake, or you can receive one of those adorable little cups that have the little cardboard wafer thing on the top of it, and it's just as good. God blesses it all. Um, But just think about that as you're coming. You're saying, this is my conscious declaration of allegiance to King Jesus. And this is my conscious agreement, covenant with this group of people that we're in it together and we have a direction. We're all moving in the direction of Christ. So let's do some, let's pray call and response here. This, you're gonna do the bits that are in italics if that's not obvious. The sun is the image of the invisible God. For in him, All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength for pardon only, and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Let's come to the table and let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.